Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. But we find Jesus now filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Why is that important to us? Because we will never overcome the lust of our flesh in the energies of our flesh. John tells us we war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. By the world, he just means everything and anything philosophically or otherwise opposed to God, to his plan, to his nature. Today we begin a new two-part study by Pastor Sam entitled, Overcoming Temptation. Pastor Sam starts us out with a reading of Psalm 91, and then we move into our text for this study, which is Luke chapter 4, the first 13 verses. We're looking at Jesus' temptation at the hands of Satan, so let's listen in. Let's stand together once again, and we're going to read Psalm 91. You'll see why here in a moment. You don't have to use your Bibles, but you can if it's New King James. We're going to actually put it up here on the screen just because, well, we want to all read the same translation. And so uh, I'm going to read the odd verses and then Cody is going to lead you in the even verses or you'll lead him, whatever works. But we're going to try to stay together on this. And you'll see as we go through our text today and our study on overcoming temptation, well, why we're laying a foundation in Psalm 91. Psalm 91, one reads, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. Nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra and the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Lord, we thank you for this psalm, for the chance to stand together and read it. We show you. Pray, Lord, you'll show us how it applies to the passage, to the temptation, to the answer, to, well, our dilemma of dealing with temptation. 
And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay standing for a moment. Grab your Bible. Turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when he was, they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours." And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Once more, Lord, we stand before you asking for wisdom, for insight, for understanding, for knowledge and application of your word. Speak to us, prepare us for the battle that lies ahead. Enable us to overcome temptation and in doing so bring glory to you and people to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. We just read them, the title of our study, Overcoming Temptation. First couple verses sort of lay out the scene and situation for us. Jesus, we read, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. These are the first two keys to overcoming temptation. Take note of them. Filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. We made mention as we looked at Jesus' baptism that the Spirit of God had descended in the form of a dove and remained upon Jesus. That was for John the Baptist's benefit. So he could know for sure who the Messiah was, that this Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But we find Jesus now filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Why is that important to us? Because we will never overcome the lust of our flesh and the energies of our flesh. John tells us we war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. By the world, he just means everything and anything philosophically or otherwise opposed to God, to his plan, to his nature. We wrestle against the world. We wrestle against the flesh. We wrestle against the devil. And here's the, the, the uh, deciding factor. We, if we're filled with the Spirit, if we're led by the Spirit, if we're walking in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the promise of God. Well, 
Jesus then, being filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit, heads in the wilderness to do battle with the enemy. Take note, we often think that Jesus endured three temptations. This says he endured 40 days of temptation during 40 days of fasting. And so for these 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. And it's important, and I'm sure most of you already know this, but if you do, make sure you're sharing it. Not everyone who calls himself a Christian believes in the devil. It's ironic, but that's just the way it is. And uh, the reality is God tells us that the devil is real. He is a created being, a fallen angel, a liar, a deceiver, a tempter. He's not a mere power or force or idea. He's a thinking, planning, dangerous, destructive enemy. And he does his most devastating work just by lying, just by deceiving. In fact, to believers, and there are many who've bought into it, he says, oh, I'm not real, don't worry about me. Of course, you know, the very fact that he's talking should say, hey, you know, you are real. But there are those who just say, well, no, I don't believe in a personal devil. Well, Jesus apparently did. He was in a conversation with them. And it's important to know, unlike us, there was nothing in Jesus that wanted to sin. See, your problem and mine is our flesh is in cahoots with the world that tempts and in allures. Our flesh is in cahoots with the devil who tempts and entices because, well, our flesh actually enjoys sin. Do you know the scripture says sin has pleasure for a season? Well, of course, you know that. And that's the real reason people sin. It's pleasurable. But afterward, the awesome, you know, manifestation of all the consequences, the devastation of all the broken relationships and trashed lives. Well, in any case, the enemy tells believers he doesn't exist. He tells unbelievers that he's God. So if they do believe there is a God, they they end up worshiping the God of their imagination or the God that the Bible says the idols of the heathen are demons. And so Satan sort of at the top of that list. By the way, some years back, Christian punk band undercover doing an outreach and they had all these punks gathered together. And, and uh, so they're like, you know, as it's sort of an intense crowd. So they're an in your face kind of people. And uh, so Joey, he's the leader. He's there. He's going, you guys believe in the Bible? And they're all like, no. And then it's like, you believe in God? No. Do you believe in Satan? And they're like, yeah, you know, and, and he's like, that shows how stupid you are because Satan's in the Bible. And so uh, the whole deal, we wouldn't even know about Satan if it weren't from Scripture, you see. And all of the ideas people have that are not coming from Scripture about the enemy just gives him room to trash and devastate them. And that's exactly what he's trying to do. The devil tempts with this in mind. He wants to defile us. As he succeeded with Eve, perfect fellowship with God, sins against God, what happens? She's defiled. She's no longer fit for fellowship, for worship, for service, and she knows it. She and Adam are hiding from God, covering themselves in a vain attempt to cover their sin. So the enemy tempts in order to defile. Had he been able to succeed in, in getting Jesus to succumb to his temptations, Jesus would have been unable to save us because only a perfect man, a sinless man, could save us from our sins. 
So the devil tempts in order to defile, in order to derail. We saw in the Psalms a couple of weeks back that a man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. He has a path he wants us to walk, a road he's already laid out for us. And the enemy's always whispering in our ear, trying to derail us and get us off that straight and narrow path. He wants to destroy. And though he can't destroy you eternally, if you belong to God, you will always belong to God. He wants to destroy you physically. And uh, he uses temptation to get you involved in things you have no business in. And those sins have consequences. Well, 40 day fast, 40 days of temptation. And we're told when those days had ended. So the temptation looked like it had come to an end. Afterward, it says, when they had ended, he was hungry. Now, if you know anything at all about fasting, you know when you begin to hunger after a fast, you actually need to eat. And this is important because the enemy's attack here was aimed at a real, not a merely perceived need. Jesus needed food. And certainly eating, nothing wrong with that when you're hungry. The sin here that... that Satan is tempting Jesus to commit isn't just to eat, but, but to not trust the Lord to provide for his feeding and for his eating. And, and we're going to see it and we're going to see how Jesus deals with it. Well, the devil says to him, verse three, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. If here, of course, means since. He's not questioning who Jesus is. He knows exactly who Jesus is. In fact, he could be saying, we both know who you are. We both know what you can do. Go ahead and use your power to meet your needs. I mean, what could be wrong with that? Here's what's wrong with it. Jesus chose to become one of us, and he is setting an example for us to trust the Father, to trust His care, to trust His provision, to trust in His protection. By the way, Matthew's gospel tells us He was out there with the wild beast. So Jesus had to trust the Father to protect Him during this time. He was there tempted by Satan. So Jesus had to trust the Father and He had to submit to the Father and obey the Father. Well, the deal is having become one of us and having gone to great lengths to assure us he really did become one of us, you know, the virgin birth. He, he was born of the Virgin Mary. I mean, he lived, he had to grow as we do in wisdom, stature, favor with God and man, as we saw earlier in Luke. So here he is. And, and when tempted, here's the real issue. It's not can I, but should I? Could Jesus have turned stones to bread? Easily, absolutely. He could multiply loaves and fishes. He could certainly have done a miracle like that. But the question wasn't, could he do it, but should he do it? Would this be within the will of the Father for him? Would this be something that brought glory to the Father? Would this be something that sets an example for us in how to deal with temptation? So the principle here is simple. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. We need to ask the question, is this your will for me? Well, Jesus didn't even have to ask. He absolutely knew the Father's will because he was always doing what pleased the Father. He actually says at one point, I do always those things that please the Father. Don't you wish he could say that for just even one day? I did all day those things that please the Father. 
But here's the truth. We're doing better than we did before. And we are more pleasing to him, not more acceptable. We're accepted in Christ Jesus, but more pleasing because our heart is set to do what's right. Our heart is set to submit to him, to resist the devil. And we have a promise that if we'll do those two things, the enemy will flee. One more thing. Being tempted is not sin. And this is important because the enemy is a liar. What he does is he tempts you and then he starts to immediately accuse you. You may not have even done anything. Oh, you were tempted though, weren't you? Jesus, we're told, was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. That means temptation in and of itself is not sin. Now, here's what sin is, either acting on the temptation or entertaining the temptation. What's the difference, you might say? Well, acting on the temptation is obvious. Somebody burns me, rips me off, does me bad. I'm going to teach them a lesson. I'm going to get one up on them. I'm going to show them not to do that to me. That's the temptation. If I actually act on it, then I've sinned against that person and God. But... If I merely entertain the temptation, well, I haven't acted on it, so I can say, well, I haven't really sinned. No, that's not true. The mere desire to do it and the thought that, well, wouldn't it feel good to teach them a lesson, to just give them one, you know, say that's never going to happen again. That kind of mindset God calls sin. And so entertaining it or acting on it is sin, but merely being tempted Well, that's not sin at all. I think it was Greg Laurie when I was a very young Christian. I heard say, hey, you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep them from building a nest. And uh, and so that's the idea. You know, the the idea is going to come and you're going to either accept it or you're going to reject it. And we're going to see Jesus example to us. filled with the spirit, led of the spirit, a man of the word of God. Jesus' first answer to the first temptation, he says, verse four, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Take note, not it was written, it is written. Now this was written long ago, but the tense in the Greek speaks to something already established that remains in full force. That's what's happening here. God wrote it long before, but it had the same standing in that day and it has the same standing in our day as it did that very first day. Also, it was written for all of us. It says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. God's desire is that we live by the word of God. And check this, the seed that brings salvation is a very specific portion of God's word. Christ died for our sins, Paul tells us, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Paul says that's the gospel he preached. That's the gospel that saves. That's the good news. Christ died for our sins. It it acknowledges we are sinners in need of a savior and he is in fact our savior. He was buried as the proof he was dead. He rose again the third day as the proof that sacrifice was accepted and acceptable. Well, if that's the gospel, and it is, that seed is planted in the hearts of men as we share the good news. And it's why we share it from this pulpit every single week in every single service. Why? We want to make sure that the truth 
of God's plan for salvation is planted in every heart. Now the harvest is between you and the Lord. You can harden your heart. You can choke out this good seed. You can be, you know, caught up and persecuted and fall away. But, but if you let that, that word take root, you will be born again of the Spirit of God. And I know that's the majority of you here. At least I would pray it is today. But you need to know, having been born again through the word and by the Spirit, well, God's word then begins to bring nourishment and it sustains us. And we have milk for the babies and we have meat for the mature and we have the bread that Jesus said, pray for daily. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, Jesus' response and all three of his responses, by the way, come straight out of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, I know not all of you have read Deuteronomy, but many of you have because we're going through that survey on Wednesday nights. And uh, I want to encourage you that if you know some of the word of God, you're better than if better off than if you didn't know it. But but we really need to know all of the word of God. We need to know it and we need to know it in its context. Well, first of the three quotations is, is going to show us something. Jesus isn't just pulling a verse. He's going to a passage that deals with the temptation at hand. He knows that Satan knows the scripture. Were you aware of that? By the time we get to the third temptation, it becomes very clear. Satan memorizes scripture. So if the enemy of our souls memorizing scripture, don't you think it would be a good idea for you to know it and for you to know the context of it? Because here's how Satan uses the scripture. He twists it, he distorts it, he pulls from it and gives application that's not consistent with it. And he uses the word against us. And we'll see, he did it with Jesus, so he'll do it with us. Well, listen, Deuteronomy 8.1, you don't have to turn to it, but I want to read it to you. It was preached by Moses, this whole book of Deuteronomy, at the end of the 40-year trial in the wilderness. But listen to Deuteronomy 8.1. Every commandment, which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord God swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. God was testing them. The enemy tempts in order to defile and destroy. God tests in order to reveal our hearts and to prove our hearts. And there's a great difference. The enemy's always trying to devastate and destroy. God's always trying to qualify and build up. And, and so he shows us. So here's the point. Jesus chooses a passage well familiar to him and well familiar to the enemy. And he says, hey, my father provided for 40 years to his disobedient Israel in the wilderness. And my father will provide for me now. See the temptation, the test, the suggestion is you're going to have to take care of yourself here. But if he's your heavenly father, man, you can trust him to protect you, to provide for you. And, and he's saying, I fed you. I cared for you. I was there with you that you might know man does not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. It was as if, as if Jesus was saying, you're tempting me, but that's just not gonna happen. I'm trusting in, I'm waiting on my Father's provision. James 1.13 tells us, let no one say when he is tempted that I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Simple application here, folks. When we are tempted to sin, it's not coming from God. Now, is there really anyone that thinks God tempts them to sin? Absolutely. How often have you heard someone who lives a lifestyle that God would not approve of say, it's not my fault, God made me this way. Sure, temptation is a very real thing in this life, but God has promised to never allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to resist, and he will always provide a way out. You'll find that in 1 Corinthians 10:13. So the old I could not help it defense will never hold water with God. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.